You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. At this time, we're quickly approaching the second anniversary of the lockdown brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. While things are thankfully looking up here in the GTA, you still might be listening to today's episode from your home office. Of course, a huge change brought on by the pandemic was a massive shift to working from home for employees of many businesses. What does it all mean for commercial real estate, especially now as employees start returning to work? Well, joining me to discuss heading back to the office and its implications for commercial real estate is Ray Wong, VP of Data Operations at Altus Group. Ray brings 30 years of experience in the sector to our chat, and we're really looking forward to hearing his insights today. And incidentally, you know, Ray and Altus have been great partners of TREB over the years and have taken part in in many of our commercial development forums. So it's great. It's great to have you back. Welcome. Thank you, Jason. I always look forward to to our discussion, especially um, with all the changes we've seen in the, in the past 18 months. For sure, and it's been a, you know, a crazy period of time where we've seen a lot of changes um, over the last year and a half. And I think there's still a lot of questions to be answered as we move forward. And sort of thinking about that right off the bat, um, you know, and thinking about the key commercial sectors, what are the biggest changes you've seen in sort of office, retail and commercial, and even the multi-res segments um, since, you know, this time last year, let's say. Well, the 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 biggest thing um, it, the, the, there's there's been a lot of discussions about um, evolution accelerated, but one one of the things that uh, that we witnessed, especially with activity in commercial activity in 2021, was the the, the amount of uncertainty um, with respect to. The, um, how long the pandemic was going to last and whether or not we're going to return to normal and um, whether or not um, we were getting um, um, sort of less has sort of that two or three month sort of slowdown or shutdown um, particularly um, Ontario and Toronto. So there's a lot of sort of hesitation delays so that's why that that the commercial activity, both on the, the leasing side and the sales side, really slowed. And the biggest difference this year is more or less return to confidence to to a certain extent, and the the execution of some of the deals and as well as the new project announcements that were delayed from last year in, into this year. So this year. We saw a lot of sort of the plans in uh, in uh, 2020 finally executed in 2021. Right. So if anything, there's again more of that evolution accelerated, but more of um, sort of that pent up demand both on the commercial and and the residential side in the way of uh, a lot of a lot more increased uh, activity and again more accelerated changes. But now we're actually seeing it instead of sort of talking about it from last year. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because if you, if you think about sort of a leading indicator of, of, of continued recovery, um, the fact that you're starting to see, you know, people, you know, actually 
uh, put their money where their mouth is essentially in terms of uh, in terms of an investment or in terms of you know committing to a, a certain amount of space over over the longer term um, you know that really speaks to the change that we've seen over you know I guess what was a relatively short period of time it seems like a long time ago that we were in March 2020 but in reality you know we've seen this this sort of ebb and flow brought about by the subsequent waves of of, of COVID really only over a year and a half and 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 to think that people are thinking about long-term uh, commitments to, to commercial real estate of different types um, over that over that period of time and what we've been through, I think is a is a really solid leading indicator. But I'm curious, like you know, has, has sort of the look and feel and, and, and structure of these deals and structure of these uh, these investment um, decisions has it changed? Because you know, if you think back to the second half of last year. Um, a lot of the media stories we were hearing about were people, you know, uprooting, buying a cottage, buying a larger home and, and, and see a more suburban area because they felt that, you know, this was going to be uh, a structural shift, uh, a shift where, you know, people that were used to working downtown and doing that commute each day were now going to have this opportunity to do the same type of work, um, but from afar. And I, I'm just curious, you know, as, as we're seeing investment in commercial real estate pick up, um, is there is there some feel that we're going to kind of do this movement from, you know, full work from home back to a bit of a, a hybrid approach and, and maybe eventually back to what was a more sort of traditional working environment? Well, if you, if you recall last year, there was a lot of sort of speculation, especially when we hit the, 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 the pan, pandemic. So um, there's a report by KPMG that... Um, close to 70% of, of the companies surveyed back then uh, were, were going to downsize their, their office requirements. And um, in the spring, that number sort of dropped to 17%. So lot, last year was more discussion of the speculation and then companies started realizing how much space they actually need. And then, um, and so there's still a little bit of gray area on the on the office side on the return to the uh, the office and how this hybrid is going to work. There's been a lot of discussion with it, but because of that that threat of that um, fourth wave, a lot of that those decisions have been delayed. A lot of companies were have um, delayed the coming back into the office in the fall into early next year. So we're looking at a lot of that. And again, last year with a discussion with with hybrid and um, sort of looking for more space, some of the, the, the people that sort of were moving out of the downtown and started selling houses sort of made that jump from the urban area past the suburbs into um, sort of that um, cottage country and places like Kingston and Belden. And now the, 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 there's been a lot more discussions with companies that are mandating either 100% or 50% or certain departments back into the office going to next year. So the, the whole element of being able to work from home on a permanent basis is shifting a little bit. So whether or not um, that causes companies to, or people, because as you know, over the past five years, the biggest issue with a lot of the companies and, um, is, is the ability to find talent. So whether or not that, that forces some people to just quit, that they don't want to do that one hour or two hour commute into the city and rather work from home and whether or not the employers will allow that. I think that's gonna to contribute to some of the, the, 
the uncertainty and probably into next year and how much the, the companies actually value certain individuals. And as well as um, we've been pretty well, um, it's, it's been a very positive experience being able to roll out of bed and get out on your laptop and not have to get dressed and, um, and then hopefully shower, but um, <laughs> to get, get on that, that, that train or to get, get in that commute. So it's that level of uncertainty that we're dealing with, but it, it's going to play out more into the, the, the next year. But everything that you, you said is, is, uh, is really interesting with the movement, but I think right now it's still very fluid. And you're, the, the, a lot of the questions is, is, is going to be on the, on the office front going forward. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. I mean, there's a real give and take dynamic there, right? Whereas on the on the one side, you're seeing uh, um, you know both 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 landlords and tenants starting to make you know uh, longer term decisions again, longer term uh, uh, investment decisions again. Um, so obviously, you know, fr from the employer's perspective, at least in the office, you know, office related sectors. Um, you know, there's this feel that there's going to be, you know, some form of, uh, of back to the office and, and, and that type of interaction uh, that we saw pre-pandemic. But on the other side, you have people that are saying, well, look at, you know, we provide a valuable service to, to our employers and, and we feel there's, uh, there's room for a bit more flexibility. So I think, you know, as we move through 2022 and, and even into 2023, I think that's going to be you know, one of the key sort of post-pandemic stories is is, uh, is how that kind of unfolds um, over that period of time. And, and I think, you know, another give and take that we're seeing, you know, in the in the commercial sector is also around uh, retail, because obviously, you know, people really got used to getting a lot more of the of the goods they require online, whether we're talking about groceries or, or, or you know, other other you know consumer related goods but i think i think by the same token as we've seen this sort of gradual reopening and you know we heard the premier uh, of ontario last week talking about uh, you know sort of a full reopening by the time we hit the the spring of 2022 yeah. obviously people's bricks and mortar options are are opening up more as well so you know how's that sort of same give and take between you know bricks and mortar retailers the consumer and you know online retailers how, how do you see that unfolding especially as as it relates to you know space requirements and what have you from from retail again it goes back to the evolution and you sort of need the online shopping as well as um, as well as the brick and mortar because for for retailers and it's, it's the same thing with um, using that, that example that you know when uh, my wife and I go to Costco we go in there for a bag of milk and Bread, but we come out of there spending two or three hundred dollars on things that we sort of picked up as we saw. So when you're online, you're looking at something very specific, and you're and you're comparing shopping, but that's it. So when you're in the, the store, and what retailers really like is that you don't just pick up the one or two items; that you pick up other items along the way. So you need that that balance. But for what consumers really want, and this goes from the office side as well. Office side, you're looking at collaboration, synergies, and, um, and, and communication. With retail, you're looking at that experience, be, be, ability to actually see the product, try the product, and to experience something um, in the store that you can't experience online, right? And, and especially with the field of, of uh, materials. And for online shopping, I think people are finally, uh, sort of online grocery shopping, people are finally getting used to the idea that 
they don't have to pick their own fruits and they don't have to actually see and what their experience so far has been pretty good with the product that they've been purchasing online and having it delivered so I think we're going to probably see a little bit less grocery online shopping, especially if we return to some level of normal normalcy. But I think people will still want to go into the grocery stores and retail. But again, similar to the office, there has to be a reason why you're going to jump in your car and drive to the mall or, or to the plaza or even walk to, to restaurants. And it's part of that experience and interaction. So I think we're going to see um, the, the the turning of uh, retail that is going to be it's going to change things similar to the office. It's not going to be your your straight cues. It's going to be more on the the wellness component and more interaction and more services. And same thing with the retail stores. It's going to be more on the service side and more type of experiences that you can't get online. But I think we're going to see continued changes in that area and the offerings for retailers and trying to get them back into the stores. And do you think the, the, the like you mentioned, sort of the experience changing and do, and do you think that um, that'll also sort of drill down to where people go for their bricks and mortar retail experience, like in terms of, you know, rather than sort of hitting the, the, the super center of the mall, it's gonna be looking for that more sort of boutique Main Street uh, sort of experience? Or do you think, you know, when you go to the mall, it, like the tenant mix is gonna shift because, you know, you're looking at, uh, you're looking at places where, you know, maybe online isn't, isn't as conducive. And, and so you'll start to see malls leasing up and, and power centers leasing up a different type of, uh, of, of tenant. Well, absolutely. I think that what's really interesting is that the overall office sales activity is down and because of uh, of um, what's what's available in the marketplace but if you look at retail investment activity it's it's doing well comparatively um, to the industrial and apartment front and part of the reason why um, investors are picking up uh, retail is it's it's a location right and it's probably going to be redeveloped into some sort of mixed use, especially on the housing side, rental or condos. But that interactiveness, so you have that sort of um, sort of that um, the customer base that live in and around uh, that area. So I think we're going to see a lot of those changes. And it's 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 this goes back a number of years when or people were speculating the the fate of the big box retailers. And, you know, if I'm looking for a screwdriver, sometimes it takes me 20 minutes, half an hour, and it's some of the big box retailers yeah. to actually find what I need. And I think there's going to be more emphasis on servicing and being able to find that screwdriver a lot quicker, as well as um, easier and more of experience from that perspective. So I think we're going to see some changes, not just on the, 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 the retailers, but the structures and the redevelopment. Like if you look at the, all the announcements this year in, in Toronto with, with Yorkdale and Square One and even Baby Village, they're looking at more sort of immersive uh, type uh, retailers, but as well as adding residential and Vaughn Metropolitan Center is a, is a great example of, 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 of that type of um, mixed use and that especially connecting to with um, the sub, um, the subway, it creates more of a, a community development rather than the one-off plaza, the one-off mall. So I think we're going to see a lot more changes um, with retailers and as well as uh, property owners to make sure that they can actually 
increase or um, the values and as well as maintain cash flows. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the the, the Vaughan Metropolitan Center uh, um, example, in in the sense that it's a destination, not unlike a you know a mall or a power center. But when you get there, the the feel of that destination is a lot different. Like it's uh, absolutely you know, it, your destination is kind of like that that main street experience. I think that's a really good point in, in that. Um, you know, just like the office sector, you know, may need to uh, uh, change to to account for, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the, the flexibility, I think a lot of people are going to be looking for, it's the same thing, the experience that people are looking for post COVID in, in, in retail, you know, probably looks a lot uh, different as well. And, and, you know, you mentioned industrial, um, and, and even pre COVID, I mean, we were talking about the starting of the blurring of the lines, you know, between say retail and industrial, just because, you know, as we were seeing the share of retail sales going online increasing, and then obviously even more so as we, as we moved our way through the, the pandemic. So is that still sort of the, the, one of the key stories when it comes to, to industrial is that sort of, you know, you're looking at, you know, logistics and, and, and that type of thing. Is that still a, a key driver in that segment and, and continue to be moving forward? Yeah, you know, the, the, the challenges that we're, we're going to have, and well, we're seeing it now with uh, supply chains and, and logistics, and there is definitely a blurry line with retail and industrial. And, the, and going back to the whole retail locations, again, they're in urban areas, and um, places like um, your, your Best Buy, they have sort of urban locations already just because of the retail stores, and they service some of the on online orders from there. But I think as, uh, especially with the, the, the greater Toronto area industrial um, uh, availability rate is less than 1.2%. Right. So it's starting to push the, the warehouses out further and there's gonna be some challenges in, in servicing some of the customers. So especially with urban locations and urban locations that, that are existing retail now, and we've seen this more in the US that there's more sort of, um, um, logistic pickups in the stores. And to a certain extent, Amazon has done that with their Whole Foods uh, grocery stores, right? Right. So we're going to see more of a, a bit of a blur there, but being able to service the, the customer better, especially with the increased costs in logistics from labor to, to operating to um, shipping. And what we're seeing right now is a bit of a imbalance in what we're seeing on global logistics. You keep hearing about those 50 odd um, um, cargo ships outside of uh, LA and waiting to um, be offloaded with goods, right? So I think there's a bit of an imbalance with, with um, where we're shifting with labor, how we're getting the resources because six months ago is a lack of product. Now we have the product, but we can't get it into the, the, the hands of the consumers. So I think it's gonna be another year or so to sort of straighten that out regards to more efficient um, either use of technology or automation to make logistics a little bit more efficient as well as control some of the costs because cost escalation, especially with, with um, gasoline is really starting to push up as contributing factor with um, the higher inflation rates. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, you brought up the point about uh, you know Amazon, for example, through you know their their, their Whole Foods platform. And I guess just this broader idea of sort of a hub and spoke, um, you know, relationship and having some pickup points uh, within urban centers. And I don't think it's any 
coincidence that you know when I go on my Amazon app now and, and look to order something, it's pretty front and center saying like, look, we can deliver it, but there's also the option to, to, to pick this up at a, at a designated pickup point you know, close to your house. And I'm just wondering and maybe get your take on this that, you know, as we're starting to uh, um, find our way out of the pandemic, and I know just from driving around that, you know, the roads are getting a heck of a lot busier than they were even a couple of months ago, certainly as, you know, kids are back in school, summer's over, um, and, and, and more and more people are going back to their traditional workplace that, you know, getting that sort of, you know, day of or day after delivery is going to get tougher just because of, you know, traffic concerns and what have you. So it's going to be interesting to see how, um, you know, the online retailers start to play it in terms of drop off versus uh, versus customer pickup and what have you. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's expectations. When I don't receive something in a day or two, right, I'm, I'm wondering whether or not I, I, I place the order correctly. Yeah. And um, whether or ordered from a different store or, 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 or something. And part of that is um, changing the expectations of consumers that maybe, well, you, you, you pay less and not have Amazon Prime and um, to have those trade-offs. But again, the, the challenge with even going back to the office is that now you, you order something right at your door, you're dry cleaning and everything's brought to you. And to trade that off the office front, um, and that's why a lot of companies are are providing a lot more type of amenities with pre-cooked meals and so on and so forth to your office, right? So I think we're going to see a lot more sort of changes in that area, but is that consumer expectation, they set the bar high now with respect to expectation of uh, products and deliveries. And, um, and whether or not there's a limitation of, you know, groceries have to be within a given day or there's certain limitations based on refrigeration and as well as how long it can actually sit outside in, a, in an ice box, right? So I think that's going to evolve over time. And, um, and I, I think retailers are going to figure this thing out on how they can get the products in and whether or not they have the hub and spoke model um, on the retail side, similar to what we're, we're probably going to see on the office side, especially if people want to work more in the suburbs, not have to commute, but still have sort of that dedicated workspace where a close proximity where they are. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time today, but one, one segment of, of commercial real estate that I want to touch on um, that sort of bridges the gap in our, in our membership, because obviously we have thousands of commercial members that, that, that benefit from all this information we've discussed today, but we also have a lot of people on the residential side uh, a, a, as well. And, and so I think it makes sense to maybe finish off today with a bit of discussion around multi-res, because if you think about, you know, as we move through 2020, certainly as the as the pandemic started you know affecting the labor market we, we did start to see you know uh, a real increase in vacancy rates and that's whether you're talking about you know the condominium apartment rental side of things or the purpose-built side uh, but my sense is you know when I look at um, you know where active listings have gone and, and also where rental transactions are gone is we're starting to see a real tightening again um, in, 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 in the rental market so I'm just curious you know uh, I mean, it, the multi-res side of things has always been tight, as long as I remember in, uh, in in Ontario, and certainly drilling down to the to the GTA. But you know, what are you seeing in terms of uh, you know existing uh, uh, um, you know multi-res opportunities and certainly investment moving forward? Yeah, the the cap rates, even though the vacancies um, went up, 
they they didn't go up either. So we're we're continuing to see very low cap rates, and especially with with multi-res, with anything with um, possible expansion, anything that possibility of increasing revenues with higher densities, um, trade it at, at, at a premium. And it's, it's sort of like the icing on the cake with respect to where vacancy rates are, are moving. So we're, we're seeing a lot more institutional investment, especially with um, um, purpose-built um, rental. So I think we're going forward, and, and absolutely we need this as well. Going forward, we're going to see a lot more activity there because from from investor standpoint, it makes sense with, uh, with the, um, the, the tight supply, sort of a very stable um, income flow. But the challenge we have with um, investor for industrial and multifamily is the ability to find product and as well as what, whether or not you're willing to pay, you know, a sub two or uh, in some cases, one and a half percent cap rate for investment property rate is, is a bit of a challenge. But again, being able to find it and realize value is going to be a challenge going forward. Yeah, I think, again, that's just sort of a realization in that sector that, you know, even as tough as COVID was, you know, thinking long term, I mean, we're going to, you know, start to see a real resurgence in population growth in, in, the, in the greater Toronto area. And you know, certainly, I buy into the notion that you're going to continue to see investment from, you know, world class companies and that in Toronto, and that's going to attract more people, you know, to our, uh, to our region, and all of them are going to require a place to live. And, and obviously, the, the, the rental segment of the housing market, you know, plays a big part especially you know for for newcomers initially moving here and young people you know getting their start um in the in, in in the gta so i think it makes a lot of sense that you know we really didn't see any sort of change in the cap rate situation and and, and valuations have held you know uh, pretty steady absolutely Ray, I really want to thank you for joining us again today. I mean, your insight when you uh, uh, speak with our, our members, whether it be in, in our, our commercial development forums or, or, in a, or in a podcast like today's, it's always much appreciated. And I think both our commercial members and our, and our residential members, you know, come away with a, a lot of added insight. So again, can't, can't thank you enough. Well, thank you again for, for, for having me. I, I really have loved these conversations with you, Jason. Thanks very much. And to everyone else, don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Treb's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B dot C-A to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thank you for tuning in.